Are you a woman who seems completely put together but doesn't actually feel that way? Meet Emily and Stassi, two Columbia-trained psychotherapists and self-identified people-pleasers in recovery who are reviewing their favorite books, self-help tips, and discussing their experiences of being and counseling women in the world. You'll gain a new perspective about how you're functioning and get practical steps to get out of your comfort zone to cultivate the life you really want to be living. Okay, awesome. Rada, thank you so much for joining us today. We are just like so excited to have you here. This is such a gift. Be here, ladies. Great to be here. (laughs) So I'm just going to go ahead and read your bio. So to give our listeners a sense of who you are. So Rada Agarwal is an entrepreneurial force. She's the co-founder, CEO, and chief community architect at Daybreaker, the global morning dance, music, and wellness movement in five continents with a community of almost half a million people around the globe. She co-founded, sold, and invested in multiple nine-figure businesses in the wellness space, including Thinks Underwear, is a best-selling author, speaker, DJ, inventor, and investor in mostly female-owned businesses. She and her Daybreaker team spent the first three months of 2020 touring with Oprah and WW on a nine-arena sold-out tour where Rada opened every stop of the tour and led 155,000 people through a motivational movement experience with 30 dancers, musicians, and performers behind her. She and her team recently launched a science-backed platform called Dose by Daybreaker, a first-of-its-kind membership to practice joy and and developed a movement method connected to the eight virtues of joy. Her goal is to make practicing joy as ubiquitous as practicing yoga and meditation. Her book, Belong, which we're going to talk about more today, peels back the curtain and shares how she and her team built the Daybreaker community around the world with zero ad spend and answers the questions, how do I find my people and how do I create large and meaningful communities in the real world? She was named by MTV as one of eight women who will change the world and has won numerous entrepreneurship awards and accolades on disruptive innovation. Rada's currently teaching joy practices on Dose every week, supporting her members on their journey to joy. She's pioneering the field of functional happiness and writing her next book, The Joy Ride. She lives between Brooklyn and her farm in Rhinebeck with her family, and her most coveted title is Mother. Wow. <laughs> That's quite the bio and just so amazing. And hey, you know Oprah. How cool is that? <laughs> She's awesome. She's she, she is who she is, as in she, who she is behind, you know, sort of behind the mask is actually who she is. In front of the mask, which was really comforting to meet someone as authentic as she is behind behind camera. So yeah, wow. And I feel like that just speaks to kind of the need and volume for people wanting to build community. Like that was something you you toured with Daybreaker with Oprah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's my ultimate why is is belonging and and building community and supporting every single human in the world to, to feel belonging. And you, you can't experience joy unless you belong, unless you really invest in meaningful relationships, right? Yeah. I mean, as a therapist, my own career path, I worked at a high school for a long time and then now have a private practice. And in those years at the high school, right? Like what kept happening was I, I can't solve this independently. There's no way to heal any of the things that are coming up for these teenagers and now adult women without community, right? Like you and I can connect, 
that this is a shared thing or a universal feeling that human beings have, but it has to then spread out much, much further. And that can be true in like pain, but also in joy and just human connection. And you hit that. I mean, I think you hit that everywhere now that we are very separate. And your book was written before 2020. And you had statistics about like how many freelancers there were in the world and all sorts of stuff. And now remote work, I, I can't, I don't know what the stat is, but it is so much more exponential than when you first just were talking about social media and like the separation. And I think it's gotten, I know we know it's gotten significantly worse. That's right. One in four Americans have zero friends to confide in. And that number has tripled in the last 30 years. And then post pandemic, we're at one in three, even greater than that in terms of those who don't have meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships with whom they can share their intimate feelings. Right. And I think that is, you can have sort of all these kind of surface relationships online, on, on, on Instagram, on TikTok, and all these people are going to these places to find connection, but realizing actually it's not just connection that matters, but it's actually meaningful connections that matter, right? And so, so to invest in offline relationships, to invest in really using the online world to get to offline relationships, that's actually where the rubber meets the road, right? Mm -hmm. That's a really good point, like using it as a tool to... That's right. There's amazing tools out there for connection IRL in person, right? In real life. But we're still addicted to the dopamine rush of obviously the likes and the comments and without realizing that that's actually a very empty way of connecting with people. It's a really good sort of appetizer, but unless you're getting the entree and the dessert and the entire meal, you're not being nourished the way we need to as human beings, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really first found your book. So in 2019... I had a moment similar to the one you talk about in your book of kind of waking up and realizing that your relationships maybe weren't as intentional as you wanted them and they weren't serving you in the ways for your greatest joy and kind of used your book as a tool at that time to really rethink my own relationships and where I want to be investing my time. And then, you know, just one year later, 2020 hit. So I had, I, I felt like I was doing really meaningful strides in my community and friendship. Then the whole world shut down. We had just moved to new city a month before the world shut down. I was pregnant with my first child, became a mom six months later, had to leave my job because of the pandemic, started working for myself and just like literally had to start the whole process over in 2021 and 2022. And I actually used your book as a, as a key resource to to help do that, to help start to like rebuild community in this new city in Providence with my new role as mom and entrepreneur. And so I just wanted to, to put that out there as the tool that I've used, I guess, to kind of revamp my life. And, you know, one of the things that Stas and I were talking about is like, we love that concept of building intentional community and friendships, right? But I know I hadn't thought about it much before reading your book and it really changed how I how I went about that. So why, why are we so intentional about so many other things in our lives, like our careers, our partners, parenting choices, but not when it comes to building our friendships and communities? Yeah. I mean, I think because friend, first of all, thank you for sharing that you went through many transitions at the same time, moving to a new city, becoming a mother all at the same time and changing jobs. So it's like three different transitions, right? And 
you know, what I talk about quite a bit in my book and, and sort of in the world, the lens of belonging is transitions are those moments in your life where you have to start over, where you're rethinking your values, rethinking your friendships, so that you had three of them in a row at the same time. That's a really big ask for someone to sort of overcome on their own, right? And so the first thing I say, you know, when, when we think about community is, or, or, or is intentional relationships is through the lens of what transition are you moving through in your life, right? And can you, A, recognize that everyone is moving through different transitions at different moments in their life, right? So the problem is we place such an emphasis on romance, romantic relationships, and such an emphasis on our professional careers because as humans, as media, as the romantic comedies, the rom-coms that exist in the world, right? Like we look at love and getting the white picket fence and the house and the family as like the most important marker for success. And also obviously your financial success as a marker for status and power, right? And so, you know, as animals, which we are, right? Those are two, you know, one is about procreation, one is about power. And, and so as animals, it, it kind of makes sense, but what we forget is as animals, the foundation of why humans are at the top of the food chain is that we are not the strongest, right? Like cheetahs and bear, or, or the bears are stronger than us, or we're not the fastest. Cheetahs are, are faster than us, but what makes us the strongest, most sort of higher archaeological species is our ability to connect with one another. It's our ability to mycel be the mycelial network above ground, right? To connect with one another and and learn from each other, teach each other, build each other up, kind of collaborate with one another. And, and I think that we've forgotten that that is the foundation for the human experience because we've been taught, particularly as Americans, to go our own way, to be rugged individualists, to, to seek our own path, to, you know, you got this on your own. It's the very sort of the American ways. If you look at sort of every other country in the world, you know, families still live together, the constellation of the family network, the community is still very much are connected. So it's particularly, particularly in this country that we are experiencing the most loneliness, the most isolation, the most depression, the most anxiety, because that our forgetfulness of what actually has gotten us here in the first place, which is the foundation of community, the foundation of our sense of belonging, or the foundation of our network that has allowed us to actually achieve sort of our professional and our romantic goals. And so unless we nurture the foundation of what makes us the strongest species, we begin to, again, really find mental health issues in our lives. And we find, you know, sort of every societal issue that we're currently managing, gun violence, political polarization, obesity epidemic, you know, every social issue of our time ladders down to, I don't belong. Yes. Yeah. And I like, as you were saying that, the thing that was coming up for me is I have, I, as a therapist, get really triggered by the word boundaries because it's the, the national conversation. And I don't know if it's the global one, but the national conversation is if it's not respecting you, it's not serving you. And, and it's so black and white that like yeah. clients come to me and say, I have to cut my mom off. How do I do that? And you're like, whoa, wait, 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 what's happening? And let's talk about that. And they've thought they've done everything they can to the point where now we're, I have to cut mom off because mom's not so emotionally capable of doing more for me. And like, we're create, we're promoting more and more individualism and isolation instead of like collaboration and potentially frustration and conflict and pain, but like working and integrating back into relationships. It's, it's like, it's, 
it's all these things that are happening. And then we add this like new mental health piece of boundaries that is like, can be helpful and is, I is secretly dangerous. Yeah. It's literally the thing I talk about the most, like people promote alone together. People promote, you can build your own joy up without anybody else. You could be alone together. And as long as you're sitting in your own place of, of spiritual connectedness, you're okay. And it's such a scary rhetoric to spread yeah. because again, and I, I really like it sent goosebumps at my body as a mother to even have that, again, that language be shared. Like I have to cut my mom off because she's not able to really understand what I'm going through or whatever it may be. And without realizing exactly the way I want. Yeah. Whereas like, actually your mother is the perfect reflection of the person that you could heal with, with so that you could actually move forward in other relationships. You can move forward. If you're not going to heal that with your mom, you're going to actually butt up against that in any other relationship you face. So might as well do it with the person that bore you and mm-hmm. heal that right constellation rather than cut them off. And again, you know, sort of like block your ears and say, la, 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 like, I'm good. I, I, you know, it's, it's like what I always say, it's like meditation, you know, meditation is actually a practice to better relate to others. Meditation isn't a practice to relate to yourself. It's, it starts with yourself to better relate to other people, to find compassion, to find forgiveness. So all these mental health practices that we do for ourselves, it's not just to then live alone at the top of the mountaintop and say, hey, great, I'm fine. I don't need anyone else. I'm good. But actually it's so that you can integrate better and relate better to other people. And so those who say I'm better off alone, I found a way to be in my practice by myself. You're actually shutting off what is the most important thing in the world, which is our connection to other people, right? Literally the thing you're hardwired to do. Like literally you're hardwired to be connected to others, right? Like I'm not a people person directly fucking nuts because you're like, yes, you are. Like this is not what we're talking about here. Yes, Yes. and if you read my book, you know, you you then have recognized also that I also kind of talk people off the ledge of calling themselves introverts, right? Like introversion, extroversion, was a term defined by a male psychiatrist, right? Who essentially said that you gain energy by being alone. Well, it's actually, if you read his, if you read his Freud's actual papers, you will realize that what he is saying is that it is truly actually unprocessed trauma from your childhood that makes you an introvert, right? That turns you into, I need to be alone in order to feel safe. I need to be alone in order to charge up because in my younger years, I felt trauma around interaction that left me feeling like I couldn't be in relationship to others without feeling nervous, scared, anxious, depressed, because I haven't healed that trauma. So an example that I give is one of these women that I've coached in, in you know, community building is around a, a trauma that she didn't realize was a trauma when she was a young girl. She calls herself also an introvert as well growing up. And, and now to this day, until I, we, we unpacked it and she was like, wait a minute, I'm actually very much a social person. I was just traumatized as a young person. And the, and the example that I always give is, is where she called up a friend when she was elementary school, inviting her over for a play date. And her friend didn't hear what she was saying because it was something happened. She was muffled or whatever. So she laughed at her when she invited her over. And her friend felt that she was like laughingly saying, no, I don't want to come to your house for a play date. And, And they hung up the phone and she was crying and felt so rejected. And for the rest of her life, 
or until we had this kind of coaching session or series of sessions that she realized that she was waiting for an invitation her whole life rather than put her neck out to ask friends to come over to her house or create social experiences for others because she was so scared of being rejected again that she never went out and stuck her neck out again around social opportunities. And so it was an amazing revelation for her to uncover, wait a minute, something happened to me as a young person that made me feel scared to be social as I grew up. So I began labeling myself introvert, socially anxious, all these things so I could protect myself when in reality, I'm actually a very social person. I love people. It's where we as humans gain the most joy in our lives. But I just had a trauma from a childhood I didn't process or fully understand. And then these labels that we give ourselves continue to compound, right? These self-fulfilling prophecy where we begin to say, oh, I am this, I am this, I, I've become this because I've said this and now I am this. Yeah. And so it's all- steering down that road and keep reinforcing. So it's all fucked basically, right? But net, 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 we are all deeply social creatures. All you want is to feel a sense of belonging. Belonging is our most core value as human beings. When we don't belong, it's as painful as having a broken bone. It's as painful as having sort of the most painful sort of experience when you don't feel that sense of belonging. So it's up to us to continue exercising that muscle as a collective to recognize that we all have felt that way. We've all felt that we don't belong at different moments in our lives. And the more we tell each other, wait a minute, this thing made me feel like I don't belong, or can we talk about it to, to have courageous conversations? then we realize that we are all feeling the same way and that the net need for humanity is belonging, right? And we talk about that all the time as far as like, you know, human evolution and attachment, right? It's like literally baked into our genetic coding to belong and attach to our families and to our communities. And, you know, you you actually rewrote, I think in the early pages of your book, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which for maybe if listeners don't know what that is, it's a psychological explanation or construct for humans, basic needs to their higher level needs. So basic needs being like food and shelter and safety and sex into intellect, love and belonging, community, top being self-actualization, I think on Maslow's hierarchy, but you rewrote it to integrate, well, truly to integrate community at every level and joy is the epitome. Can you talk about those changes? And because we really resonate with that. Well, you know, I think as therapists also, you, you, you know, probably really understand again that, you know, our sense of belonging is as core to our basic human need as food, water, and shelter. And unless we sort of feel a sense of belonging at every level, as we grow spiritually into self-actualization, into states of joy, right. We actually can't continue evolving as a, as a, as an individual and as a species. So I moved from Azatarki where he has belonging as a third level, which, which to me feels totally, again, sort of maybe of its time, but so much has been discovered since 1943, right? Like there's so many studies that have been done since 1943 when he wrote his hierarchy of needs. And of course, the male psychologist that, that wrote this or male socio, you know, a sociologist that wrote this rather than a female, and again, we didn't have a voice in the 1940s. And so now women who actually bear their children, who understand the psychological needs of, of, of young people across, you know, across the ages as mothers, as gatherers, as nurturers, you know, for, for a woman to be able to look at the hierarchy of needs and see, wait, 
there's a lot of holes here. There's a lot that men will never understand that these need to be sort of co-created male and female for us to really understand what the whole human across sexes need. But but what he didn't understand, and now his studies have really come out over the last 50, 60 years that weren't in, you know, in his, I guess, in, in the study, the realm of study that he that he had included in his in his thinking is the the importance of meaningful relationships and belonging across across our 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 kind of spiritual evolution, our mental and physical evolution. And we really desperately and deeply need social connectedness across across all levels. And I always say to like my clients, joy is the reason we're here on the planet is like to experience joy. And I'm not sure I'm like perfectly, I'm not doing that all the time. I I realize like in 2020, the where I get joy the most is watching my dog have fun, like going to a dog park and watching my dog have joy brings me joy. And I was like, what the fuck is that? That's so messed up that I'm not like, I don't have a thing. Like this is the thing is watching someone, another living being experience joy and I truly believe that like our socialization and all the things that make it very messy to access it is just impeding the thing where like as animals on the planet that is unique to not fully unique to us in terms of joy but connectedness and joy is unique to us and that we have stripped that society specifically American culture has stripped that away and that's like the peak is is with all the other emotions we have experiencing, but that's the one that brings purpose to life. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I was just going to say, you know, I think until we participate in our communities and our sense of self, unless we find that purpose and participate in the thing that which gives us joy, we're just now just receiving or being spectators of Instagram, spectators of TikTok, spectators of, right? We are just, it's a one-way transmission where Instagram is giving us media for us to consume rather than us to wholeheartedly participate in the experience of whatever it is we're watching. And I think that's a big piece of our lack of joy. So one of the things I always do when I when I teach courses on, on community building is to first understand what is, what are the, what is your VIA? And a V, your VIA is an acronym, it's in my book as well. But what are your values today? Like, I think across every transition of your life, when you become a mother, when you move to a new city, when you, you know, when you age out of the partying, you know, sort of moment in your life, right? Like, what do you value at every phase of your life? Writing that down. Like, we don't ever really do this exercise for ourselves. What are my current core values? You can Google values and you can begin seeing a list of hundreds of values that you can sort of like pick out the first 10, 15 of them, write them down in a, in a Venn diagram. So it's this via is a Venn diagram. So the via, your values, your I is your interests. Like what are you interested in exploring? What are you interested? What can you lean in and get excited about participating in, right? So my interest today, for example, is parenting. My interest today is entrepreneurship. My interest today is community and belonging. My interest today is communal experience design. My interest today is adventure and through the lens of the environment. So I think about all things I'm interested in exploring. These are the things that I personally connect with. So how can I then find the communities or build a community that align with my interests, right? And then the third circle in the Venn diagram is your abilities. And I think we often forget we are given these beautiful God-given sort of things that come easily to us, right? Abilities that come easily to us that we forget. Sometimes we just muscle our way through things because we think that's what the universe or the world wants of us. But if we just sat down, it's like, oh, wait, 
I'm really good at taking out the trash. <laughs> I'm really good at sending out invitations to my friends and gathering my friends at my home. I'm really good at cooking. I'm really good at being someone that brings musical instruments to a gatherings that everyone can play music. I'm really good at asking questions. Like what are the things that come naturally to you as an individual that you could easily bring to your community that comes second nature to you where you could participate in your community, where you add value, where you feel like I'm contributing, which gives me a sense of purpose, right? Which we talked about earlier. Purpose isn't just in your career, but purpose actually really is deeply important how you show up for your community as well, right? So for me, you know, I'm really good at gathering friends, at creating theme parties. You know, I'm really good at curating kind of the energetic mix of people so that it's not just a bunch of type A's, but it's like, you know, sort of a nice energetic mix. And when they come together, there's an alchemy that exists in this space. I have a girlfriend that always kind of comes to my house and she dims the light. As soon as she comes into space, she's like, okay, let's take this terrible overhead lighting that makes us all look 10 years older. And let's like dim the lights. Let's have lower floor lighting. Let's, let's really create ambient light with like rose colored lights or different ways that make our skin look more gorgeous, whatever, right? I have another friend who's great at massaging. So he always goes around and just gives everyone little five minute mini massages and just brings, we're always excited when he shows up because of his hands. You know, we have another friend who asks amazing questions. So we always know we're going to feel deep and connected at those events. So it's like, what are you good at bringing out? Like I'll ask both of you, like Stasi and Emily, like what are, what do you bring to your community? Me, I did this exercise actually. Like I went through this in prep and I asked my husband the same, I asked him like what his skills were and he did not like that question. <laughs> he was, it felt like a lot of pressure. I think I am good at having conversations with people and keeping people feeling welcome. I am good at hosting parties and themed parties. And I don't know if I'm as good as curating people in a room, but I'm, I'm welcoming enough to bring people. And I, as a new mom, I started doing that being like, if people aren't gathering, I will be the person that makes the gathering happen. Let's do this. Let's have a Halloween party. Let's go do, you know, like, let's make this happen. And then I am a good planner, right? Like I can see... 18 steps ahead and have it all mapped out pretty, pretty quickly in about two minutes. And maybe it needs some tweaking as we go, but it goes fast to go. This is where we're trying to get. So those are mine that I, I love it. I love it. Beautiful. What about you, Emily? I think for me, visuals, I think I'm, I'm have an art background. So any kind of like visual or like, say I throw like a birthday party or something like any of the visuals that go with that. Like I'm really good at that. And I can like create like a gift bag or, you know, something that really comes together to create like a theme. And I think I'm really good at that kind of ma more maternal presence and kind of having that empathy and holding that kind of maternal space for people. Beautiful. Beautiful. And here's like a little pro tip for everyone listening as well. One of the things that we really thought about as we gather is the concept of our neurochemistry. Like how does our human brain work? You, you both as therapists, I'm sure you study a lot of our neurochemistry, our, our dose, what I sort of coined this term, right? Our dopamine, our oxytocin, our serotonin, and our endorphins, right? So it spells out the word dose, which I couldn't believe, right? Like you can dose yourself in your own natural high. But what if you thought about 
every meeting, every gathering, every family dinner, every office meeting, you know, every in every sort of opportunity to gather and connect through the lens of our neurochemistry, how would that change the way you design your event or your experience, right? So for example, dopamine, you you get that for, through music, through getting shit done. So it's like task listing, or you get that through feeling a sense of accomplishment, right? And so how can your events have music or have a sense of sort of like purpose or accomplishment when you show up there? Maybe it's thematic, so getting everyone dressing up in costume is dopamine-inducing or getting people to come with an an active question to ask or, you know, sort of some way where they're participating in the experience activates your dopamine. Your oxytocin is through touch, connection, intimacy. So whether it's a hug at the door like we do at Daybreaker or a a moment of, you know, high-fiving each other, a moment of sharing with each other what you're grateful for with one another that activates your, your oxytocin, right? Your serotonin, you get activated through light, through a sense of, yeah, this is greater than myself. So it's one of those collective moments where everyone is contributing together as a serotonin release, you know, or feeling a sense of, yeah, again, a sense of this is greater than myself. And then the endorphins you get from moving your body. So can there be an activating element where it's one song dance party at your office meeting or, or can it be where everyone gives each other like a, a trained massage or can it be something where everyone is sort of moving and activating their bodies that allows for the endorphin release. So if you just put that formula into every gathering or every meeting or every family dinner or every opportunity to connect, you would literally have everyone leaving the experience thinking thinking that they're the most joyful, the most happy, the most connected because you actually reverse engineer the experience design through the lens of how our brain works, right? I'm smiling through this because it made me think of like reels run a thing in 2018, but a reel on Instagram that like showed all the ways in which endorphins get released visually. And it was like three weeks before my wedding. And I was like, I'm going to bring all that shit bubble machine. It was like a bright colored door sprinkles. And I was like, great. And I literally went and just bought a bubble machine. I bought like a jar of sprinkles. I was like, I'm going to make people visually just get bursts of happiness. Like I want them to feel happy. Let's do this. (laughs) Exactly. So the fact that you thought about that and the fact that you then implemented it in your experience, and then I'm sure everyone walked away feeling like that childlike state of awe and wonder you know, like those are the types of things that it takes just a little bit of, of design thinking, but the how, and it costs very little too, but the, but the results are so deeply sort of connecting and, and, and sort of belonging inducing. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you talked about that. Cause we were going to ask you about dosing and I, I think that's, it's so, it's so smart, right? You're like, you're it's engineer thinking, but for social, for a social event, for, for connecting. And we don't, we don't think about gatherings in that way, but we, but we should about what is the vibe that you want to create and how can you hack, you know, our own neurochemistry to make that happen? I love that idea. And it's living with intention, right? Like that's the thing is, is I I think intentional living gets like people don't know what that means anymore or mindfulness, but that's what we're talking about is slowing down and being intentional about not only like curating events or doing a thing, but like, how can I create friendships? What are my interests and values, right? Which is what your book really slows down and talks about. How can you be intentional about creating a life that fuels you and gives you meaning and purpose versus 
you know, like I've moved to new cities and felt like a leaf blowing in the wind and being like, what the hell is happening? Right. And like that, like having life happen to you versus taking charge and making sure you're creating things that serve you. That's right. I think, again, it comes back to that girl who was waiting for the invitation versus creating the invitation in the first place. Right. So, and again, you don't have to be a full-blown community leader, movement builder, right. At the beginning, there's, you know, in my book, actually, I share kind of your sort of a, 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 a simple Kickstarter community guide for how to sort of throw your first event in a really kind of easy, thoughtful, cost sort of effective way. And, and I think that's the first thing. It doesn't have to be something like, oh my God, I'm not, how can I do that? And I'm not that, that's not me. But every single one of us have the courageous capacity to do that. It just requires courage. It requires, it requires an intention to actually create the community that you want to create and, and, and align with the values that you want to bring to your community. And that just requires courage and sort of a very simple step-by-step process for how to do that. Right. And I was really nervous about the Halloween party. Like I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to show up. I want eight, I want 80 babies in this, in this house because I just want to look cool. Like it turned into this like really social pressure. And the thing is, is everybody wants to be connected and like that whoever showed up and there was more than 10, or, you know, there was like 10 babies, which was wonderful, right? Like that was enough for my home. Like that, that was the thing. It's like people like loved it because they were connecting. Like that's the point. It doesn't have to be more pressure than that. It doesn't need, you don't need to perform more than that. They just needed a space to gather and things start happening very organically. We're, we're built for this. That's right. I, I mean, I think, I think having 10 babies even if you had three babies there, right? Ten babies is still a lot. (laughs) Awesome, yeah. And it's like, I think you're totally right. There's such a pressure of like numbers equals popularity equals connection equals. But sometimes, like for example, you know, my motto for this year is small as the new big Mm -hmm. and do less better, right? But small as the new big is in like this Friday, I'm having a Shabbat dinner. My husband's Jewish. I'm having a Shabbat dinner at my farm upstate New York with a table of, of six people. Right. And in the past it, it would have been like 20 or bust, you know, but it's like a table with six people, you know, everyone's bringing a dish that allows us to go so much deeper, allows us to connect even, even further. So for me, I'm really looking forward to a small dinner table with six people. It feels like an intentional number. It feels like a new frontier for depth rather than width, right? And I think so often we go for the width because we want that, again, that social sort of popularity piece. But if we get intentional and actually tell ourselves this is what we want as a success metric, then it just totally changes the dynamic of the gathering, but also also sort of our sense of accomplishment after the gathering happens, right? And the piece of depth there, right? Like as the host of a 10 baby party, I didn't talk to anybody, right? I was doing lots of things for everyone. And so it didn't serve me in the intention that I okay. had. It, it, I, I was lost in that everyone else got to do the connecting and sit on the floor with babies. I had to walk around and host. And so I was, it, it was depleting for me than it was giving. Um, and I think that's a different piece of success metric, but like feedback I got from that was like, oh, this was maybe too much already. Like it that smaller is the depth. Totally. I mean, I just had a birthday party, birthday weekend with my twin sister this past weekend in Mexico city. And it was 60 people. Right. And And on one hand, it was like, wow, I can't believe how special and magical 
This is, on the other hand, I was only able to drop in with probably a dozen people over the course of three days. And, and while it was like a, a deeply joyful experience and I felt so loved and I felt so, so sort of like a con- sort of, yeah, I felt, I felt really good, you know, I think net net, I probably walked away with, with a dozen deep moments. And then a lot of it felt like, yeah, it was, it was, it was in service of, of everyone else's joy, which which is beautiful for what it was. That was the gift I gave to myself. I just, again, that was my intention for that weekend. And so I walked away with it from that experience still feeling actually really good because I knew that this was a gift for my friends for my birthday weekend. So the twinge of that was just was just sort of kind of the new me wanting that sort of small intimacy, but you can also create other, other desires. And for me, it was like, actually, I want all my friends from across different parts of my life to meet each other. And that, that goal was, was also very, was very satisfying. So special. I mean, it's so special. Can we jump into motherhood for a second? So my Instagram account was like blowing up, which is very exciting. But the conversation that's happening is that everyone's starved for connection and that we're all living in the society where motherhood trumps all and, and in a way that like husbands can't or partners can't show up and that women can leave and detach and and check in with themselves. So even if they create a communal, like, Hey, let's meet up on Friday. People will start pulling out because husband can't do it. My kid is sick, whatever else happens. And so intention leaves. And so even if they're attempting it, this, this pattern of we're all in this socialized realm is, is the struggle. People are really struggling with that. We're exhausted. <laughs> yeah, exhausted. And then that like, well, the conversation started with an article that was that men have scheduled hobbies. They get to go out and golf. They they have things that are time sensitive. My husband does softball over the summer every Monday, like he's out. And that women have hobbies that are in between the cracks is how this like this originally started. And then it turned into that's so true. And I can't get my girlfriends together because we're trying to fill in between the cracks. So if something happens, I ha- I have to self-sacrifice and bounce. And that I think is a really big barrier for mothers right now and partners. And I was wondering what your thoughts were. On yeah, I mean, I, this is this is an ongoing debate. It's sort of like, you know, what we talked about earlier of just like, you know, there's there's a there's the way that things are done that we think are supposed to be done. And then there are ways in which we have to stand up for ourselves, you know? And I think for, for me, it's so interesting. Yeah. Like I've lost a lot of girlfriends to motherhood who have self-sacrificed in the name of their children's nap time being at noon every day, right. Or at three o'clock and they have to live in between that time. And I think that these types of parenting books are extremely not serving to the mother. And, and I, I really tell every mother to burn all their parenting books to the ground and and not listen to these parents who are these authors are trying to sell books so that they're so that they so they have something to talk about by offering these rules but every family every baby every relationship is different and i'm not sure that the baby is served by having very controlled nap time i actually feel like the baby ends up being way too regimented and 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 and, and way too needy of the mother rather than being able to self-soothe and able to sort of roll with the punches like we used to do in village life, right? right. So, 
so for mine, the way I raised my kid, and there's you know no shade on on what how anyone else raises their children, but it's just to really let the parent know, let the mother know that your joy comes first. So if that means slinging your kid under your waist or under your arm, taking them to a lunch, and then having your kid sleep in their stroller. That's totally great. It's how every European does it. It's how every Indian, Jap- I'm half Indian, half Japanese from Montreal, Canada. So all my Canadian girlfriends, you know, we would just go out for, for lunch and, and the moms would just leave their kid in the corner, sleeping in their stroller while we'd have a glass of wine or, or, or whatever. But it's like, it creates for a, a joyful home rather than one in two divorced family members in America. And turns out that I, I've, I've, I've read this and, and I've, I've learned this from many parent therapists, parenting therapists and couples therapists that most divorces happen when the child is less than five years old, because mm-hmm. there's such a disagreement between the way the mothers want to raise their children, the way the men want to raise their children, they can't find a common ground. Mm-hmm. And it mostly has to do with the fact that there's a regimentedness that, um, that the mother brings to the table. The father just like wants to live a more, a more kind of relaxed sort of non-boundary life. And it creates this sort of deep separation at home, which ends up leading to kind of a a divorce, right? And so a kind of a a lack of understanding between the controlling mother who wants a schedule and the father who wants more sex, more connection, more whatever it may be. So, so, you know, it sounds very stereotypical, I guess, coming from a, a liberated woman like myself. But that's actually how it is. It's it's the mother becomes controlling of the schedule. The father feels left behind. The father feels like they're not getting enough attention. The mother feels like the, the, the father's not aligning with the mother's need for a more regimented schedule. And that's the way the divorce happens. So so my, my big imploring of mothers is to live your life, to not sacrifice your friends, to pick yourself up, put your shoes on, even if you're tired to go meet with your friends because it always feels good once you're there, to lean on your husband and not be a control freak, to actually take care of your child for four or five hours that you could go and make your friends and be with your friends and and to really, really be staunch about that. I'm in a women's circle that I started. There's 10 women in my circle. My husband's in a men's circle. I've been a women's circle for five years. We meet up you know, the first Monday every month. He meets up every single Monday of every month for four years. So, so every other every so three out of the four Mondays where he's in men's circle and I'm I'm either with my daughter or I have one on ones with my with my friends. I get a sitter for Soleil and 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 it's like my time to have one on ones with friends to have connection time. But I am so staunch about that. And then also Eli and I, my husband and I, we have weekly date nights, we have weekly family nights, and then we have friend nights for Friday night Shabbat dinners. So we, we really have a very important sort of schedule for friendship. Without it, I would go absolutely bonkers. And, and I highly recommend that's, you know, you asked me before the community started recording, what, how can I be so joyful in my life? It's because I prioritize, I put friendships and relationships as a priority over work, over truly everything else. And that friendship dynamic makes my relationship, my husband stronger because we could work through our own differences in friendship with my friends. I forget what I'm mad about with my husband when I'm my friends because everything goes away because it's so nice to be together. So we actually end up having much more lovey-dovey, hand-holdy, kissy, touchy vibes because around our friends, A, we're always on our best behavior anyway, but we also allow the struggle to melt away and we're back in friendship mode together when our kid isn't around and it ends up being so much more fun 
we fall back in love. We forget why we're upset with each other. We return back. So all of that stuff is so important, which is why coming together in friendship is actually a very important part of making sure that your relationship stays strong, especially through early parenting days. It makes me think back to your book in terms of like your values, like what are they? I can only remember the two of the columns. So there were three, like what, what values do you want in a friend? I don't, there's something about what values do I want is what are the qualities that you want in a friend? Really important to write that down. What are the qualities that you don't want in a friend? Friends who cancel all the time, friends who like literally don't know how to get, you know, don't know how to say yes to a gathering, friends who are shit talkers, friends who are negative Nellies, friends who bring you down when you're together or don't bring you up. Like quality number two, column number two, column number three, what are the qualities that you need to embody in order to attract the friends that you want? So you need to be less of a canceler. You need to be like, all right, like I'm gonna, if I can do this, I'm gonna put my shoes on, I'm gonna go, even if I'm exhausted, I'm just gonna force myself out because I know that when I do, it always ends up when I'm so much happier, fills my cup up for another week before my next gathering of my friends. So just forcing yourself to get up and out. That's an important part of the quality that you need to embody, not just wait for your friend to embody those qualities, but you yourself need to put your shoes on and get out of the house as well, or quasi, you need to body be less judgy, be less of like, well, you know, they're so scheduled. Like that's sort of what I used to judge my friends on. Like they're so scheduled. Like I say, I don't want to be friends with a control freak helicopter mom. That's not fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also just their way. And I want to also love them through their way, if that makes them feel like they have more control over how they raise their child or it makes them feel less anxious to give them that that opportunity. So I've become less judgmental. I now make fun of my helicopter mom friends. I'm just like, oh, here comes a helicopter mom. Okay, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And we just laugh about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they laugh about my irresponsible parenting kind of ways. And we just kind of like, we just laugh about it, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, rather than it's so serious, like everything in parenting can be so serious. And it's just, it's just, we're all figuring it out, you know? And that's the real truth of it. And I love that you're saying like, I just like, I used to be judgmental and now I'm like, I'm more fluid with it because in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't want a regimented mom friend. And so that's somebody I don't want. And I need to embody like being flexible and finding those friends who are willing to show up. But there is a piece of that in terms of like, yeah, don't continue to invest in the friends who keep canceling because motherhood is getting in the way. Like they're long-term, you're just, I don't want to say wasting your time, but you are not going to get served there and that you need to invest in people who are saying, fuck yes, friendship, which FYF is what you acronymed it as, right? And and meeting you going, this is important because it's going to uh, not only create meaning in my life, but it's going to serve me as a mother, as a wife, it's I, in my job and bring overall sense of joy. Like community is that. And if people aren't valuing that, then move on and go find somebody who is sh- wanting the same value as you that's do. Right. And other, your world. That's right. And by the way, you know, I always joke around, but it's like my friends who don't have kids right now, they're like great friends to, to, to play with because they, you know, they're so much more flexible. They're so down. And so I love having a mix of friends who have kids and who don't have kids. And it's not always like, because I have a kid, I need to be friends with just moms and just yeah. other. I really love to have friends whose kids have graduated college and now they're back on their own. So I have friends also who are all ages. Like at my birthday party, I was really proud of myself. I had friends who are 25 all the way up to 75 and, you know, 60 friends that, that really span the gamut. 
but are all activated and prioritize community and friendships and, and having fun and coming together. And that's actually the qualifying value set that's a, a common across the age group. It's not their lived experience. It's not what they do for a living. It's not how much money they have, but it's actually how open they are and how much they value play and connection and pushing their edges. And those are the types of values that I that I gravitate towards and are the types of friends that I, I kind of evolve. And I, I think of the 60 people, I would say a third of them, maybe even less have kids. Uh, maybe like a, a, a quarter, maybe you know, 10% of them, their kids have already graduated school and are often there so they can actually have fun and independent again. And then I have a whole subset of friends who are, are on the baby making train um, mm-hmm. in the next you know, year or next three years. And so it's really fun to have that mix of friendships as well. Yeah. Emily, I keep talking. I have another thought, but if you have thoughts, I will let you finish this up. <laughs> okay. Last thought for me is I read an article right before that Halloween party that I keep referencing. And it was when, when people become parents, they often start excluding their non-friend groups. That community stops because their old community doesn't mesh with this new one they're trying to make and the exclusions happen. And I was talking to a friend last night and I referenced that article and she said, well, when I became a parent at 25 and she now has high school age kids, but when I became a parent, I was excluded because I was pregnant. People stopped inviting me to birthday parties because of that. And so in my Halloween party, I invited all my bridesmaids who don't have kids or have older kids. And I was like, do you want to come to this baby party? Because I realized like we do separate and categorize. Okay. Like, I don't belong. They, I don't belong with that group anymore. They're still special to me, but they don't they can't come in and I can't invite them in. And so I think that was a, a huge like eye opener for me, that article that. Yeah. Adding all the all the people. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think you're everyone's better for it when we continue integrating every type of community member in our lives. It only adds more play, more experience. You get to live in their frame, like, oh, who are you dating now? Or are you thinking of having kids? Like, let me help you. You know, again, you get to have purpose and supporting your friends who are just on that baby making journey. You know, so there's like so many ways in which it serves everyone to not exclude, right? I think for me, the main reason I would not exclude, but just not sort of like, sort of like sunset or friend, a friendship is when I have friends who no longer show up, who really shift, you know, their, their way of being with me, who are jealous or envious of me. And I feel that in our interactions, friends who I don't feel like add value to the collective. I feel like they're either shit talking or they're not contributing or they're just takers those are the types of friends that I, I don't like having around. And it's very quick and easy to pick them out after a few hangs. You can be like, all right, or someone who's on the same frequency. Like, and there's a lot of people that are really lovely people. And I write about this in my book as well. So I, instead of shit talking to them, like, I don't like them. It's actually like, I think they're wonderful people. We're just on different channels. It's like, I like watching HBO. They like watching TLC. Like what we just like, we watch different channels. We're on different channels. Nothing's wrong with them. We're just, we don't vibe in the same way. And that's okay. And and I think those are the types of things that like we don't have to make people wrong because we don't hang out with them or we don't want to hang out with them. We just don't really align our frequencies. Like I don't feel fully myself around some of these, some of these friends and it doesn't make them again, bad people. It just, it really is about connection, frequency and an energetic mix. Right. And so I think it's a really important part of education around community architecture and, and friendship making is, is that like, 
is that we all vibe in different ways and that's beautiful. And I used to be like, if I'm not liked by everyone, that something's wrong with me, I have to fix that part of me or, or, you know, or if some people don't want to invite me to their birthday party, does that make me less desirable? Well, did I want to go in the first place? Or is it just the ego of wanting to be invited, right? There's so many of these things that play into community architecture that we really need to begin asking ourselves deeper, more intentional questions. And we appreciate you saying that because we really wanted to normalize like kind of evolving into friendships, out of friendships, talking about the change in friendships through your life cycle and, and how, you know, when it's time to make a friend or end a friendship, like you really kind of sum that up for us. Yeah. Like I'm going through right now, a a repair in a friendship that I, of someone that I learned was like really gossiping about me um, for, for years. And I'd forgiven her, I'd forgiven her, I'd forgiven her. And finally, I just said, enough's enough. I can't be in the same space as you. I don't trust you anymore. So I let her know that I am sunsetting our friendship until I feel safe again. And so it's been a year and a half since we uh, were, you know, really kind of hung out and we're friends. We're in the same space. But over the last few months, she's been messaging me to let me know that she's in a lot of soul searching, a lot of work on herself that she really wants to reconnect, that she misses me. And, and, you know, part of a community leader and part of a community sort of member is to recognize that there will be ruptures and repairs. And we're so quick in this world to cancel each other. It's like, oh, one wrong thing. And it's over between us. Cancel culture is like how we live that we forget that there's, you know, with her, for example, there's 10 years of beautiful relationship. And she and I love the same things. We love community experience design. We love, we love adventure. We love, we, we have so many of the same friends. So last year and a half, I haven't been going to her, but she hasn't come. It has been kind of like sort of sad in a way, but I just had to draw a line because it, it, I never felt safe around her. But now we are coming back together and I'm, I'm meeting with her. Uh, she's coming to my farm this Friday for Shabbat dinner. She's one of the six around the table. Six. Yeah. yeah, one of the six around the table. And, and I'm like here to rup- repair the rupture that we have because I, I really care for this person. And I, I, and I know that she cares for me too. And that some of that kind of gossiping and shit talking was from her place of jealousy and a place of, 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 of envy, whatever. And she's now done a lot of work on herself to be able to, to tell me that I, you know, that I've, I've, I want to be your cheerleader. I want to, I want to have compersion, which for those who don't know what that means, compersion means I'm happy for your happiness. I'm not envious of your happiness. Compersion means your success is my success. Your win is my win. And that's, that's real friendship, right? One thing I want to share also, just as a last point, I, I have to go, but is, is that, you know, my twin sister is going through a divorce right now. And, and she posted on her social media last night that she is consciously uncoupling with her partner. And she has like 400 friends who've commented or almost 400 friends who commented, you know, beautiful shares, like thousands of likes. People hit her up left and right on a, what seemingly could be a negative thing in her life. But as soon as we post a win, like I stole my company for hundreds of millions of whatever it is, like, or something happened that's positive in my life. No, very few likes, very few comments. And we live in a culture where we celebrate or want to serve and support friends who are struggling or down, but we are jealous or envious or, and, and don't want to comment. Don't want to be like, fuck. Yeah. Awesome. Go you or like, like, let me share this. Like your win is my win. Let's go. You had a huge 
win happened here. Let me like, let you know how proud I am of you. Like, why are we living in a culture, especially on social media, where there's hundreds of likes when it comes to something that's tough in your life, but like 10 or 15 comments or hundreds of comments, you know, on negative things and only a couple when you're going through something that it feels like a win in your life. And it just, it just makes me feel like friends are either fair weather friends or friends are most excited to support you when you're down rather than cheerlead you when you're up. And it just feels yucky to me. And I want to really build a social world where there's just as many hundreds of comments for someone's win as they're in someone's struggle. Absolutely. On that note, thank you so much for being here. I want to highlight a thing I'm personally interested in. You are doing a community building course. Yes. Yes, I am. I, I really am now so passionate about taking all of our key learnings at Daybreaker, but also in my own sort of writing and research on making friends and building community to, you know, we are so isolated. We are so anxious. We are so alone. We're so depressed that I'm like, I just really feel like I could, I could, I could really serve and support humans to find their people and sustain a community that brings them joy, that brings them that sense of belonging. So yeah, I'm launching a course in the next few weeks and we're going to, I have actually a free webinar that I'm, we're doing end of, end of February. So if those want to learn about the, 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 the course, they can come on the webinar. I'll be sharing a bunch of sort of tools and, and techniques and, and, and things we do on this webinar. So you'd walk away from the webinar with having learned something in general, but if you get excited about it and want to go deeper, it's a six week live course that I'm teaching on zoom starting, I believe in June, but this webinar is end of February. And then I'm also doing an in-person three-day um, intensive on community building. So if you want to build your podcast, you want to, if you're selling a book, if you're building a business, if you want to make community for your own life, you're, if you're an HR person, if you are an entrepreneur, whatever world that you're in that you want to build community personally or professionally, that's really what I want to empower people with the skills and a game plan and a blueprint for exactly how to do that. I am actually so excited because that's the long-term vision for my own career in life. And that I just want women to come together. Oh, like the more times women come together, the better. And so I knew we were coming and I was preparing and researching you going, what's going on? And I went, oh my God, it's like, this is like fate bringing me to her. (laughs) Oh, interested. Zarada, you will hear from me. Thank you so much for being here. Beautiful. Last, last, last question. Can you just tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, they can find me at love.rada, so L-O-V-E dot R-A-D-H-A on Instagram. Otherwise, um, meet me on the dance floor at Daybreaker, so daybreaker.com. Sign up to get our emails. We're in 31 cities around the world, around the country as well. And then belongcenter.com is where you can sign up for our course, for my course. Amazing. Rada, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to meet you and speak with you. And we just hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you both. Love this. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) 